Good morning. Our scripture reading is found this morning on page 60 in the Blue Pew Bibles. It is Exodus 19. I will be reading verses 1 through 8. Please rise as you find your way to Exodus 19, verses 1 through 8, found on page 60. Exodus 19, beginning with verse 1. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be me you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. The National to Urbanly, which uh, is an organization comprised of minority entrepreneurs providing economic empowerment, educational opportunities for the underserved in America. And once a year, they have their annual conference. And some 20 years ago, they selected Houston to host their annual conference. A couple of months prior to the conference, I received a very surprise phone call. I was asked to, to give the invocation for that conference. And I was, uh, I was shocked. I was overwhelmed. But uh, this special privilege, on that day, uh, we had uh, a gathering of all the uh, uh, important uh, members that were going to be there before the conference. And I got to uh, hang out with uh, some of the city councilmen and some of the state senators, and I felt like 
Um, I, <laughs> I shouldn't be here. Uh, I'm just a little potato, you know. Uh, how, how, how am I to, uh, selected to be among all these uh, important people? I felt really significant that I was chosen to pray for such a recognized organization. And it was in Genesis chapter 12 where God chose Abraham and his descendants to be his chosen people for a very special task. I'm sure Abraham was probably overwhelmed too. That God, the creator of the universe, the king of kings and lord of lords have selected him and his descendants, the Israelites, to be his people. Wow, what, what a privilege. And God has established a covenant with Abraham. As you recall that God has made three promises to his people. That his people will be a great sea, a great descendants. That it will be like the descendants will be like the stars in the skies. God also, secondly, promised that they will have a land, land that they will have forever. And thirdly, God promised that God will bless them. God will bless them so that they can be a blessing to the rest of the world. While they were um, in Egypt, as you recalled, the Jews multiplied like crazy. Their seas grew and became fruitful. And just like good Jews, they were also great uh, businessmen and, 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 and they were blessed. And we see, just through the Abrahamic covenant, that that first promise of great sea and blessing, and the third promise, God fulfilled. And as they grew, it threatened Pharaoh. And as a result, Pharaoh made them slaves. And yet we see, while they were in slavery, uh, the second part of the Abrahamic covenant, which is the, the land that God promised uh, has not been fulfilled yet. And when God uh, delivered his people out of Egypt, they were to go to the promised land which God has given to them. And from our scripture reading this morning, in Exodus 19, God wants to establish a covenant with Moses and his people. We have arrived in a new section in Exodus. Matter of fact, in the next several chapters, chapter 19 through 24, describes the giving of the law. And Exodus today, which we will be studying, is the introduction of this climatic part of the book. And we're thankful that uh, there's been uh, 
much discovery of ancient Near Eastern texts. We find literary compositions of covenants and treaties. And that the covenant that God has made with his people is very similar to the ancient Near East treaties. If you have your Bibles, if you open it up to Exodus chapter 19, we will um, dig into this chapter. Exodus chapter 19. Is this, and I'm reading from the NIV. <clears throat> In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. And as we continue in verse 2, it says that they camped it out in front of the mountain, which was Mount Sinai. See, Mount Sinai is a very significant place. And I want to take you back to when God called Moses from the burning bush where God has commissioned Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. It was there at that burning bush. It was Mount Horeb, which, which was another name for Mount Sinai, the same place. And as you recall in Exodus 3.12, when God was commissioning Moses, it says this. God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign for you that it is I who have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You will worship God on this mountain. So God predicted that Moses was going to deliver his people from the Egyptians. And not only that, but God's going to bring them out of Egypt and bring them back to the same location where God's called Moses in Mount Sinai here. And they're going to be worshiping the Lord there. You see, Moses' journey has come a full circle. Now here in Exodus 19, that prophecy that God made in Exodus 3 was fulfilled. And they camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. This word desert is not uh, necessarily to mean a dry wasteland, but it can also be interpreted as an inhabited a grazing country. So they stay here in Mount Sinai, actually, for almost the next year. Matter of fact, for the next 59 chapters, which includes the rest of Exodus, as well as Leviticus and part of Numbers, they were there in Mount Sinai. See, God was preparing them to enter the promised land by giving them the law 
the Ten Commandments, which is part of the law. And, and, and in the next several weeks, we're going to take a closer look at the law. See, it's through the law that God provides instructions to his people as to how they could have a meaningful relationship with God. And not only that, but through the law that they can find instructions how they might have meaningful relationship with those that are around them. So God's concerned about their vertical relationship with God as well as their horizontal relationship with one another. As you recalled, when Jesus was asked what's the greatest commandment, he says the first great commandment was to love God with all of your hearts, so am I. And the second great commandment was to love your neighbor as themselves. Love God, love your neighbors, which is a summary of the law. You see, it, um, the Israelites have been in Egypt for over 400 years. Where they didn't have a place to worship God. Where they were away from their land. And God wants to teach his people how to worship him. And we're going to see a lot more about that in the coming weeks. From Exodus uh, 1 through 18, we see that God redeemed his people. Now God wants to claim them as his own and to enter into a covenant relationship with them, which is recorded in the next five chapters, Exodus 19 to 24. So here in Exodus 19, God's calling his people to a covenant relationship. Let us read verses 3 and 4. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him, from the mountain said, this is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourself have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carry you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Here we see the first conversation between God and Moses. Actually, in this passage, God has several conversations with Moses where he uh, was talking to God and, God and Moses is going to go back down to the mountain to communicate what God said to the people. And, and then he goes back up to tell God of their response and God gives some more instructions. So he has gone up and down from the mountains. We see that God is introducing a covenant that he would ratify with his people. God's calling his people to a covenant relationship. First, God reminds them of how he has delivered them out of Egypt. By using a word picture. 
as you uh, take a look in verse 4, he uses the word uh, eagle's wings. Let me read that to you again in verse 4. It says, you yourself have seen what I have did to Egypt and how I carry you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. You see, a, a mother eagle needs to teach the young eagles to fly. And, and the young ones really prefers the state in the comfortable, secure nest that they are in. But if they don't get out of the nest, they will not fulfill their purpose in life. Therefore, the mother eagle would push the <laughs> young ones out of the nest so that they can learn to fly. And the mother eagle stay near to the youngsters and fly under them with their wings spread out just in case if, if the young ones fall, that they could be secure. See, the Israelites were comfortable in Egypt because they had food, shelter, and security. Was there Nest. We remember when the Israelites were standing at the Red Sea, and they look in front of them, the Red Sea, and they look behind, and they see the Egyptian army coming. And they started complaining to Moses. They wanted to go back to Egypt. When the commentary commentator that I read uh, from George Morrison says that, it took one night to take Israel out of Egypt, but 40 years to take Egypt out of Israel. We'll see that the Israelites keep yearning to go back to Egypt, their comfortable nest. But that is not their home. God has delivered them out of Egypt with a special purpose that is much better for them than to stay in their nest. But in order for them to experience this, they need to trust God and to allow Him to guide and care for them by being carried on eagle's wings. My question to you today is, are you comfortable with where you are? You see, we are to live in this world, but we are not to be of this world. See, God has a purpose for each one of us. It is when we understand and obey God's purpose and calling for our life, then we can experience all that God has intended for us. If we choose to just stay secure, we'll miss out on God's very best for us. You see, life is not all about us. Really, life is all about God. It is when we serve Him with the God-given passions and gifts that we will be most fulfilled. You know, are you staying comfortable in your nest? Or are you willing to step out and fly and experience great adventure with God. 
Well, the Israelites uh, need to see that they have a new identity as God's chosen people instead of citizens of Egypt. That is why God wants to make a covenant with his people. Now, this uh, covenant, it is conditional. It requires obedience. Not only are the Israelites to remember what God has done, but being redeemed that God has saved them and delivered them, that it should motivate them to want to obey the Lord. God gives three wonderful promises if they obey God. We see this in verses 5 and 6. Verse 5 says, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasure possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. See, when the Jews were in Egypt, they were slaves, but God had a much better plan for them. God shares with his people that they are to have three new identities, namely that they are going to be treasure possessions of God. That they are to be kingdom of priests. And that they are to be holy nations. Now going back to Abrahamic covenant, God wants to use his people to be a blessing to the whole world, to the nations. As recorded back in Genesis chapter 12 verse 3. When they obey the covenant or the law, they will be, that that will be revealed to them. These three identities show how they can be a blessing to others. And this is really the crux of this whole passage. It says the whole earth belongs to God. However, the Lord has chosen the Israelites to be his treasured possession. It means that Israel is a royal property. Israel is not chosen because of anything that they have done, but because of God's grace. Not that they are better than others, but they are to be set apart by God for his special work. As they obey God, God will bless them. He will create a curiosity from others to want to know about the God of Israel. There to be a blessing to the world. Who in turn will recognize the true God and will worship God? What is a treasure possession? It is is something or someone that uh, you cherish. You would not want to exchange it for anything else. It gives you joy and pleasure. You do anything to keep it safe. 
and not have it harm. We see that uh, we are God's treasure possession. That he values us. He cherishes us. Wants to guard and protect us. We should be thankful for being chosen by God. And as God's treasure possession, we are to make him known and to live for his glory so that we can be a blessing to the world. So a, a second identity that's mentioned here is that uh, there to be kingdom of priests. Well, what does that mean? You know, priests are God's servants and bring people into God's presence to worship him. Aaron and his sons will have the privilege to be God's priests. But it was God's desire for all of his, all of the Israelites to live as priests. Israelites are to bring people into God's presence to worship Him. They are to make God known to the world by being, a sh by being God's showcase to the Gentiles. God's people are to represent God and to point people to the Lord. The Jews have a responsibility to make God known to all nations. Unfortunately, as we look at uh, the history of Israel, they did not do a very good job. Instead of influencing the nations to worship God, we see that the nations have influenced Israel to worship idols. Now, what an application to of being kingdom of priests is to take the good news to bring it to others. Last week, there was a list of short-term mission trips that the church sponsors. I strongly encourage you to consider going on one of those trips to have your faith stretch. But we don't need to go all the way to the other side of the world we share the gospel with our neighbors, with our classmates, with our co-workers. May we be kingdom of priests where we bring people into God's presence. We see that there are three new identities that the Israel life should have. First, they are to be treasure possession. And secondly, kingdom of priests. And thirdly, they are to be a holy nation. The word holy means to set apart. They are to be set apart as a nation. God says that you are my holy people in Exodus 22:31. Six times in Leviticus and twice in 1 Peter, the Bible says, Be holy as I am holy. And since the Israelites is God's chosen people, 
They should reflect God's character, and one of which is holiness. Now, this does not mean that they are to be isolated from others. They should not be like the rest of the world. They are to be set apart. Remember in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says that we're not to conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. See, the Jews were to stand out from the rest of the nations. They are to have these special values that God's commanded to them, and that they are to obey God's word. And they are to be committed to to the Lord. And through this set apart behavior, they can bring nations to the knowledge of God. And one example in the Old Testament is when the Queen of Sheba coming to King Solomon when they when she heard of all the neat things that was happening with Solomon. And when she checked it out personally, she recognized that it was, it was Solomon's God that had favored on him. Do your classmates or your coworkers or neighbors know that you are Christians? Do you stand out through your behaviors in a positive way? I was talking to one of our members recently, and he shared with me that one of his non-Christians asked him, he says, what percentage of your small group have good marriages? Well, this member replied and says, well, high percentage of my small group have good marriages. And then the non-Christian said, well, most, most of my friends do not have good marriages. What is your secret in having good marriages? We see that uh, the secret really is being obedient to God's word. And as... As we become obedient to God's word, you know, we become treasured possessions of God, as well as kingdom of priests and holy nations. The apostle Peter brought this imagery from Exodus 19.6. And called the church today. Let me read you in First Peter chapter two, verse nine. It has these similar imageries. It says, "But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous lights." Like the Israelites, who is God's people in the Old Testament that should reflect 
the Lord and to be a blessing to the nations. So you see here the church, who's God's people here in the New Testament. We are to reflect the Lord. We are to be a channel blessing to others as well. We're to be set apart for God's purpose, which is to point people to the Lord. Through our words and through our deeds, we can be living advertisement for the Lord. That's how the world will get a glimpse of our God as we obey His word. Well, when Moses uh, went down to the people and let them know what God said, we see in verse 8, their response. It says, we will do everything the Lord has said. Well, Moses was pretty pleased about that. He went back up to the mountain for the second conversation he had with God. He let God know of the positive response from his people. God then communicated to Moses another message to bring down to his people. Moses was to inform his people that the Lord himself will visit them in the form of a thick cloud in the end of three days. And before he comes, the people are to consecrate themselves. In other words, uh, God is calling his people to be sanctified. Now let's take a look in verses 10 and 11. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. Because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Before God came to meet with his people, they were instructed to be consecrated, which means to be set apart for a special service to God. See, the word holy as well as the word consecrate comes from the same root word, which means to set apart. The word holy speaks of the purpose of setting apart. And the word consecrate speaks of the means in setting apart. Everyone was supposed to be set apart, including the priests, which we see this recorded in verse 22. Before we can set apart ourselves to be used by God, we need to put aside certain negative behaviors we need to put aside our sins. We need to be cleansed before meeting up with God. You see, back in those days, they were to also instructed to, to wash their clothes. We need to understand in the ancient days that the common folks do not have a lot of clothing. The poor, matter of fact, normally have only two sets of clothing. The one that they're wearing, the one that they're, they have just washed, 
and uh, getting ready to dry. And they do not wash or wash up daily. So when they need to change their clothes and bathe, it's often a mark of a new beginning. We see that they are to be set apart for God's use. We not only need to be cleansed outwardly, but more importantly, inwardly. It reminds me of verses in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5, 6, and 9. It says, This the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. See, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Light and darkness cannot coexist. Too often, uh, we do not realize how much God hates sin. If our significant other hates to be notified last minute, and I know Ellie hates to be notified last minute of any special events, uh, if I really love her, I would not surprise her with uh, last-minute notification of any events. Because if I do that, uh, it could get her pretty upset. And, and, and if I choose to disregard that, it would just strain our relationship. And we see it before meeting God, we need to be consecrated or we need to be sanctified. May we confess our sins so that we can restore our relationship with God. Too often we take sin for granted. But God promised to forgive us if we truly confess our sins. But true repentance is more than just confession. It also involves change of behavior. What I like to do at this time, which we normally do during a worship service, is for us to publicly confess our sins. So may I ask if we were to stand, and if we were to read this together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done, by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. In the glory of that name, amen.
Please be seated. I also want us to take a moment right at this very moment, maybe maybe a minute and a half or two, for us to have private confession between you and the Lord. And what I want you to do is I want you to take out your hands. I'll let you to cover your face and bow your head as you pray and confess before God. Examine your hearts, confessing, expressing your feelings toward God, asking Him to forgive you, asking Him to change you. I'm going to give you a moment at this time for you to do this. Amen. God is calling his people to a covenant relationship. God's calling his people to be sanctified. And lastly, God's calling his people to fear his holy presence. We see in verses 12 and 13, the people were warned to stay at a distance from the mountains where God's dwelling. And it reads, put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not go up the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. They have to keep their distance. You see, because God is holy and the Israelites are sinful people. See, on the third day, God descended in a great display of power and majesty. We see this in verse 16. It says, On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. And then in verse 18, we see more of God's authority being shown. And it says, in verse 18, it says, Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke bellowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently 
Well, that was a scary scene. And as we look at verse 21, God warns the people not to get close. You see, the Lord or else they'll perish. And again, in verse 23, God warns them again. It says, Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up Mount Sinai because you yourself warn us. Put limits around the mountains and set it apart as holy. The lesson here that God is calling his people to fear God's holy presence. See, there's a gap between God's holiness and man's sinfulness. We need to have a clear picture of who God is as well as who we are. We are filthy, wicked, selfish, evil people. If we're really honest with ourselves. We need to be consecrated. We need to be sanctified. We need to confess our sins so that we can be useful for God. We are to fear God because he is a holy God. He will judge sin. He will pour his wrath upon us. May we have a healthy fear of God. It will keep us away from sinning against him. Too often we only see God as the God of love, which he is. But yet there is the other side of God that he's a just and holy God. And he judges sins. And sin hinders us from being useful for God. So in conclusion, God made a covenant with his people. He has chosen his people. God um, loved us so much that he died on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins. And he resurrected, showing that God's accepted what he has done on our behalf. As we place our faith in him, we would be safe. We'd be his children. It's a tremendous blessing that we can be called his children, his chosen people. And he has mandated us that we are to be a blessing to the world. The same blessings that we've gotten from God, that we are to bring that blessing, that good news to others so that they will know about our Lord. And when we obey God and when we fear God, you know, we become his treasure possession. His kingdom priests, a holy nation. And when others come to know God personally, they will praise God and bless God. It goes back to Him. May we be a channel blessing to the nations. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, thank you for choosing us. We're overwhelmed 
by choosing us, uh, we, we don't really deserve your mercy. You have uh, mandated us that we should be a blessing to the world. May we be obedient to you, recognizing all that you have done for us. May we represent you well. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.